Welcome to the B2B Marketing and Copywriting Podcast. I'm your host, Linda Malone, certified conversion copywriter, copy strategist, and founder of Copyworks. Join me each week as I speak with experts in the fields of marketing, copywriting, decision-making, psychology, and more, all with one goal, to help you attract your ideal customers and inspire them to take action. My guest today is Leanne Dalweimer. She is a customer-centric marketer and the host of the Markagy podcast. Leanne provides strategic insights from collected data, which increases the understanding of her customers and translates these learnings into meaningful marketing practices, which as a result, help to drive revenue. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about how does science fit into customer-centric marketing? How can you use social media and other various content types to increase customer-centric marketing, and she's even going to divulge about some gems to look for in the process. Let's jump right in. Hi, Leanne. Thank you so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. It's going to be fun. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to record with you. Yeah. And one of the things that we talked about in the past that I think is so interesting is that you started your career. Did you start in fitness, or was that just something that you ended up doing like as a side hustle or if we go very far back, technically in high school, I started gift wrap, but we're not <laughs> neither here nor there. So my undergraduate degree was one that I picked out that I would actually finish because in that era, the the goal was to just get a degree because that was supposedly your you know golden path towards right. wealth. And so I I originally picked out I wanted a nutrition degree, and I was really attracted to Sonoma State in California because the degree was kinesiology, which is exercise science, and I could kind of uh, minor in nutrition. I was like, oh, perfect, full loop. And then I got there and they didn't have a single nutrition course. You had to go to a nearby junior college to take your nutrition requirements. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I stuck with the, the more technical aspect of the physiology side of things. Because I love that because I did not go to, I went to school for nutrition of all things. So I did the opposite. And then I ended up getting into fitness and I was a trainer for like 20 years. And what I find interesting, in fact, I'm thinking of a post on LinkedIn to kind of link the two together, but fitness and, and getting in shape, like, did you actually train people? Were you training people as a personal trainer? Oh, oh, for sure. Yeah. My, my, my capstone was a workout plan for mothers knowing the agility and the endurance and things like that, that my 20-something-year-old brain thought that mothers would need. That was pretty accurate. And then I spent a number of years mixed between coaching children uh, for sports and then also um, teaching group exercise classes, okay, boot camps, hit TRX classes, uh, some Pilates yoga mixes, as well as training one-on-one clients. Wow. Um, so I, I did it. I did it all. If it was fitness, you would find me there. That's interesting. So I never did group training. I only did like one-on-one. But the thing that I was, I wanted to lead up to is how, like one of the reasons I got out of it, I don't know about you. I'm, I want to get into that too with how you get into marketing. But is it just that it was always frustrating because people wanted motivation but they, they didn't realize it had to come from within themselves. And they had such unrealistic expectations 
a lot of times. And I did a lot of one-on-one for, you know, like I said, going about 15, 16 years. And it just got to be like, you know, like people are like, oh, I, I need you to come to my house and kick my butt. It's like, that's not how this works. And I get to their house because I would do in-home training and they'd be still asleep. I'd have to call them. I'm outside on their, you know, I can hear their phone ringing inside. They weren't, they weren't awake yet. Like, okay, this is not really what I signed up for. <laughs> so that was kind of what got me into other things. But how about with you? Did you segue into marketing from that in any way? So one of the things that that I took kind of, it's not really a gap year because it's it was post, you know, undergrad. But I took a year and I was working full time as a personal trainer in a large big box gym. And I am so thankful for that experience because it really educated me on how to make money doing personal training as a living, how to market and sell yourself because you have to have a pipeline. You have to have these. You have to get how to run your business of one. And so during that time, I also started to lean towards doing things that I noticed my peers weren't doing. Mm -hmm. I was the one that was like, I need a poster to advertise this small group boot camp. I need budget so that I can print it. I'm going to do this intro event to, you know, this class so people can get a taste of my training and then they'll see the results and then they'll sign up. And I just, I, I was so extra about it doing all these things that like other trainers were just like, no, I look hot and I look hot in my, uh, my <laughs> leggings. And I was the CrossFit you know, number one person in the country. Of course they want to be my client. And and so it was just different approaches. That's funny. And it, what's funny when you say that, because I started, like we had moved, I moved around a bit. And so I had to restart my personal training business a couple of times. And what I did, and I knew nothing about marketing, but I just sort of, when I think about it now, it it was logical, but it wasn't something I would think would be efficient, but it worked for me, which is this was back in like really before there was much social media. So it was a while ago, but I ran off, like you, you mentioned, like flyers and personal training, come to your house. And I ran off thousands of those. I hired a company to go and deposit them in people's mailboxes. I don't even know if that's legal. Probably not. But I got a lot of people. It is. It's, it is legal. I mean, it's, and now there's opt out things at the time. 1000% legal. Well, this was in their physical mailboxes. So I don't know if, isn't that like federal? I, whatever. I, I mean, I did the it. They didn't get arrested. It. Maybe they had the post office do it. <laughs> we'll pretend. <laughs> but when I ended getting, I ended up getting people that way. I mean, yeah, I sent out thousands that I might've gotten, you know, 10 good leads. Um, but those people were my clients and I would do that whenever I was low on, you know, clients. And then I, I found a equipment, a fitness equipment company. They sold gym equipment. And I said, um, I said to the owner, or he's, I guess he's more the manager. If you, when you sell a piece of equipment, once you, can you offer them a free session with a personal trainer? I'll come to their house. So this was like, I could get a foot in the door. And, uh, he said, yeah. And cause it added value to him is his product. Hey, you know, you got this, this machine you don't know how to use. I have a trainer that will come to your house and show you. And so I would go and purposely not write anything down. I would just do it verbally. And then they would want me to come back and nine out of 10 times I got new business. So it's kind yeah. of like marketing, like by the seat of your pants, I guess. So <laughs> it's strategic partnerships and ABM. I mean, you went to where your ideal client was going to exist in their home and you met them where they're at. And they were, you know, they showed intent by buying a piece of fitness equipment. Yeah. 
And so, I mean, I think it, that's a very smart play. Like that it's one of it, the most effective ways for personal trainers to get also the social proof, right? Because why would that guy risk his business if right. you didn't get results or if you were horrible? You know, it would just blow back on him. I didn't even know back then how smart I was. I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, I it, it didn't really click for me until I was in grad school and I was wrapping up and, you know, I had some lofty plans that didn't quite come, you know, I, I didn't follow through on for good reason. Uh, you know, after some education, I was like, wow, I'm going to lose a lot of money if I do that. <laughs> but I thought back, I was like, what was the easy A? What was the thing that just came to me that I was doing? Because that's just how my brain works. And maybe instead of trying to fight uphill and be better at these things, that I felt like were such an intense effort, instead of focusing on those things and being miserable and feeling like I was inadequate all the time, I should just do the thing I'm good at. Mm -hmm. And and that's how that's how I kind of really was like, I'm going to try marketing. I'm going to see if I'm as good at this as I think I am. Mm -hmm. And that's and how it, it all began. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it turned out I was right. I, I do have some, you know, inherent thought process that leads itself to marketing. Well, I think is is interesting too, is that you started in kinesiology. So that's very scientific. Yeah, so, it's very, very. Yeah. And I love science too. So I'm on board with that. But then, so you say that this is really what you do now is like science-based. So is that how you kind of wove the two? Like, do you still have like uh, an interest in all the science apparently, right? Oh my God. I love science. I, that was my other easy A is I showed up to some final in high school and I was not feeling at my best. I, I didn't have a clear head, if you will. And I showed up and my grade like broke the curve. I was the outlier at the very tippy top and I hadn't studied and I had just, you know, just been a total, you know, I was like, okay, so this is my easy A. So I need to stick to this. And and so by listening to what felt natural, I I was able to find things that did not just piqued my interest, but that I could be good at. So now when I look at the world, I look at it from uh, a macro mindset, right? Because when you look at the human body, there's so much going on and there is still so much we just don't know. Yeah. We we just know it works. We're like, yep, life, we're, we're alive. We can't completely a thousand percent, you know, like fill in these gaps. But the fact of the matter is we are. And every day is a miracle that we wake up and we're still no. functioning. And and when you think about these feedback loops that you hear about now and you think about the, the, the homeostasis, the balance between up and down and up and down, is it, it really helps you understand the world at large. Mm -hmm. Just like physics helps you understand why you're going to fall flat on your face if you trip. Right. Um, but but he, people are people. And, and when you understand what's happening – to them on a cellular level and what's missing and what's not, then you can start to expand that kind of thought process to how these larger other interacting feedback loops might operate. And that's marketing. You know, I, I would say that marketing is not as complex as physiology or biochemistry or any of these things happening within us. Now, you're mainly thinking of uh, like the psychology of uh, like behavioral psychology when you say science in this in this regard? I would say yes, but it's layered, right? I don't want to sound arrogant, 
but I'm going to because you almost want to think of it like 4D chess, right? The way that, for example, to, to put this in an application way, the applied behavior of someone who is working, you know, 90 hours a week, they're getting paid peanuts per hour, basically, like they're an entry level person. If you're marketing towards that person, their bottom level in the Maslow's hierarchy of needs that needs to get met is going to be safety first. Mm -hmm. So you want to appeal to them from like a safety standpoint, just the same way that someone who is a personal training potential client who is, you know, facing some pretty heavy health obstacles, they need safety first. They need, you know, to reach this level of safety before they can, you know, start trying to be an ultra marathoner. And so when you understand the context of, of people, you can then understand what they need psychologically and how to methodically find the right fit from your hypothesis of what you think is happening to match where they actually are. And that makes your marketing much more relevant. I love that. It, it takes something that's people assume is very simple, but when you actually break it down, there's a lot under the surface, like the whole iceberg thing that you see with like I use that comparison with copywriting where the copies on the top and all the research and all the interviews and everything. It's what people don't see. And so this is like all the thinking that goes on behind marketing. Because one thing I find with marketing, it's interesting because I'm more of a copywriter than a marketer, but it obviously blends in together. So I get on Reddit a lot and they have like these, which is a mistake, number one, but they have these, <laughs> these um, marketing groups and marketing gets slammed all the time, like made fun of there's memes and there's like, and the other day I was talking to a friend who's not at all in my business world. She's just a friend of mine. And I, I said, do you even know I have a podcast? And she said, no, what's it about? And I said, oh, well, it's copywriting and marketing. And she sarcastically said, oh, how fun. And I thought it is fun, but I didn't say that because to me it is. And to me, it's super interesting. And obviously, you know, to you, it would be so when you say like, how, how does science fit into the customer centric marketing? And well, let's first define customer centric marketing versus what other type of marketing would there be? I mean, isn't it all customer centric? Well, that's where I, I get a little wishy-washy about like all these acronyms. And, and I even have an episode about it because I think acronyms are just, they're just fluff, right? Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, the difference is the mindset from the originator of the marketer marketing, right? So if you have a founder CEO that is like highly technical, maybe they have an engineering background, the pain point that they're solving may not have product market fit, but it's just something that they were like, I'm so clever. This is a great idea. And, and so they're starting, they're not starting with the customer. They're starting with ego mm -hmm. and themselves mm -hmm. and that idea. Now, that's not to say that there isn't nuance or it's not that it is mutually exclusive because their great idea might have real world application that is solving a meaningful problem for a lot of people. Right. But that would be one way of not being customer centric is if you start with, I'm so clever. This is such a great idea. I'm going to build this thing, you know, for funsies. And, and sometimes those things do have a lot of appeal. So, you know, sometimes your pain point is a, a very niche audience that you should answer. Um, other ways where it is not customer centric would be sales led, you know, like in the 90s, back to kind of that that big box gym kind of 
um, vibe that everyone understands would be that you step into blank fitness and you are immediately pounced upon by a membership rep that wants you to sign up for 12 months and you can cancel any time. You really can't no. cancel any time. You have to give it in writing to that specific location. And blood. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 and notarized with your first boards, like footprint. You know, just they, they make so many hoops. But it's it's that that we've got to meet our quarter, our monthly, our weekly goals. You know, did you throw into this? And then did you give them personal training? Personal trainer, did you follow our exact plan? How many free things did you set up? How many hours are you on the floor? That person that was lifting, did you correct their form and tell them they need you? You know, it's this very condescending, patronizing, in your face, world revolves around the sale kind of mindset. That would be the opposite because a lot of times that's not what would actually make the sale. Like there might be a sale to be had, but that is not the way to get it. No. Uh, So sometimes it's the short-term wins that are chosen over the long-term ones. Mm -hmm. Customer-centric is definitely, for the majority part, demand generation instead of a demand capture. Mm-hmm. Um, it can and should be both. You can capture demand while caring about your customers. But it's it's more of that, you know, it, integrated, full-cycle type of marketing and sale. Now, what would be an example? Like, I'm thinking, for one, it sounds like you're talking the long you're playing the long game versus the short game. Is that what you would consider? Uh, I, I would say the majority, uh, I would call it 80-20, just because we all have that ratio, right? <laughs> it's the most popular ratio there is. Um, an example of that would be, for I had a client uh, a few years ago, too many years ago to be, you know, named, but they were a, a luxury item and they could not, due to regulations, they cannot sell their luxury item directly to consumers. So their primary client was the shops that would hold their um, their products. Okay. And so a customer-centric way of that would be to kind of market to both the, co- the end customer and the shop in a mutually beneficial way. So I started things like loyalty programs. I started things like Featuring, you know, the manager of the shop from the various shops to kind of get them more buys to doing in-person, in-person demonstrations Mm -hmm. at the shops. And then whereas previously before I came on board, people would just show up the shop and it would be like, yeah, we got some, you know, samples. Instead, we put it all over social media. We put it, you know, we, we tried to start a newsletter, things like that. So that would be one way to show the customer that there's resources for education on the product and, and you know, samples so that they could try before they buy. But also it brought more foot traffic into the shops that were actually the people that were ordering the wholesale orders. Right. So by creating a method of value to show that it was a true partnership, that you, they were appreciated, that they were cared about and answering their needs as a method to create demand for the product, that would be a good way of of explaining a customer-centric kind of play. I like that, yeah. So you mentioned social media like as part of that. How do you blend in? How do you use social media in, in that way? 
Social media is a huge part of it um, um, because it is your direct like access to your customers, mm-hmm. right? So I love using it uh, as customer research. So if we put on our product marketing hat, we want like all the surveys and all the things, you know, for example, uh, for, on Instagram or LinkedIn, you can do polls. And when you have fun with the polls, you make them a little cheeky, a little funny. You know, for example, for Zero G, I did one where I was asking people, you know, what planet's gravity do you feel like you're on? (laughs) And, um, you know, is it tattooing or is it? And I started naming like all these like sci-fi planets. And then I named like actual Earth and um, or actual like our moon um, or Mars uh, in the mix of these different sci-fi pop references. And people were like, they would they would DM. They'd be like, oh, my God, that's so funny. I love Star Trek or I love Star Wars or, you know, like, ha, 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 it's like this. And, and it would create a conversation. Right. But also give me valuable information about, you know, okay, so 75% of these people chose Star Trek over Star Wars. So now in my copy, when I'm writing my posts or other surveys, And I'm blending in these like, how old are you questions with these, you know, what planet do you like questions? I know what reference is going to keep them engaged and make them more interested and and just bring a smile and and get them into it instead of like rolling their eyes and moving on. Right. I love that. Now, did you know in advance that you had a lot of fans in the Star Wars and Star Trek? Like, did you? I, I had a pretty good guess, right? Because if... If you were of a certain age and you were watching these sci-fi shows that made so many of these inventions possible and you liked the people that helped found like the three co-founders of Zero G uh, who reference this kind of thing or, um, you know, some of the people that go on board and some of their just things that they do, then then chances are you would be interested in some sort of sci-fi space show. Yeah. It, it was a reasonable hypothesis. I just didn't know which one was going to end up being more popular, especially um, with Disney behind <laughs> Star Wars. And people like humor. I mean, even though, you know, it, I've posted a number of times, it's always on my podcast, whenever I, I've talked and I've had people on talking about how to use humor in your copy and stuff, they're always the most popular episodes because people love to laugh. But yet we're so afraid to use it in things like our marketing. And I mean, it it has to fit with your brand, but still, I I can't imagine, you know, just I would think it's the type of humor, like what you said, you were very specific um, and it wasn't hilarious, but it was funny and it was something that would get their attention. Like there's that balance almost like you have to find, like, what can I push on this? You know, and so, (laughs) yeah. 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 Per Reddit, you want to be very careful about what lines you push. Oh, I know. Uh, <laughs> I've made mistakes. <laughs> everyone has. And, and you know, the goal is to have small mistakes. And that's also part of how you can use social media to be customer centric is you can see if it flops. Yeah. You know, um, if it just is crickets and you're like, OK, well, no one really engaged with this. They, they just don't like this. Then, you know, it's just one post. As long as you aren't you know, punching down or, you know, doing any of the isms or is, then it's it's okay to experiment and have a couple flops. The goal is to get, from my perspective, is to get a bunch of base hits and occasionally a home run 
but not necessarily a home run every single time because that's just not realistic and that's not how you build relationships. Right, right. And sometimes it's just luck that gets you like when posts go viral or something. And uh, I remember listening to a podcast. Someone was saying that they had one one post on TikTok that had over a million views. And she said, you know what, though? It didn't translate to any more customer. I had, you know, I didn't make any money from that. So that's why it's the whole vanity thing. It always comes down to that too. You know, so it's you want to target the people who really are interested and are potential customers for you. And you had said there's some gems to look for. What what do you mean by that? Gems within your marketing or what do you what do you gems within your customer responses? Okay. Because people want to tell you things that matter to them. Right. They want to express that. And if they feel, and I mean this in a very like kind-hearted, you know, bring people in to make a community way. But if you give a mouse a cookie, they're going to want a glass of milk. They're going to want this, that, and the other. And my goal is to give the cookie. I want people to want more. I want them to ask for a glass of milk. I want them to open up. I want them to tell me how they really feel. Mm -hmm. Because everyone has these polite, canned responses that are socially acceptable to provide. I don't want that. That's useless. It's fluff. I want to know the trash that you're talking behind the brand's back. I want to know the trash that you're talking about competitors. So we don't do that. I'm not going to talk trash about our competitors. But if you've got something to to say, I want to know what that is. And I want to know before you're a volcano bubbling over. I want to know when you're just annoyed um, and you're venting. I don't want to know when you are like going nuclear because that is a separate experience and and that has its own significance. And that's never about the brand. That's about the individual usually. Yeah. Unless the brand is just such complete trash. I look for those gems that are like that doorway into a deeper conversation that is more meaningful and more authentic and more genuine. Mm -hmm. Uh, So if they... For example, I will do an interview with uh, someone. I'll be like, hey, do I have any volunteers to be featured as our XYZ? And you'll get some hand raisers. Sometimes it's just one or two. But in those one or two, if they have like a deeper story about why this is meaningful for them, and I just want to listen to it and hear it. And many times they'll be like, please don't publish this. Don't share this with anybody. And and I totally respect that. But understanding what draw drew them in and and that significance to them is so much more powerful even in its you know white like watercolor down version Mm -hmm. where you share what you do have permission to share about even if it's something like this was just so meaningful to them look how much fun they had Mm -hmm. you know just the the very little bits that that you make those connections to build people up and to, to give them safe space right and I've written for a bunch of like fitness and wellness companies and interviewing their customers. One was a, um, it was a product to ease the side effects of cancer treatments. And you want to talk about emotional like interviews on my part, <laughs> listening to these people. And, but it, just being able to understand how, you know, it's not just, hey, you don't have any side effects or you have very little, but you can now go out, you can live like your quality of your life. It was quality of life. It wasn't exactly what, you know, what the symptoms were. I mean, it was part of it, but that's what led to it. And so, yeah. And because we make 
decisions based on emotion, you know, and we justify it by logic. But, you know, so if you can get that emotion and what is driving them, what is challenging them, it's like you know, the greatest thing. Yeah. Do you have any specific tips for, for using, like for, for using science in to be for, for people to be more customer centric with their marketing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, actionable takeaways would be things like understand how to set up a correct experiment. If you are posting something in on a very high frequency platform like Twitter, the platform formerly known as Twitter, if you're posting something where like most things have a shelf life of under 10 minutes, and you're throwing it out there and you have a small audience and you didn't use any hashtags. And and before you call that a failure, because you only did it once and you have way too small of a sample size, understand if you set up your experiment correctly mm-hmm. and, and why it failed or why it didn't. So that would be the first actionable takeaway is before you call something a win or a loss, understand your sample size, your experiment setup, that you're only testing for one variable And that it's actually the variable that you think you're testing for. Mm -hmm. Um, Because that happens way too often. Oh, well, we put out a blog post and it didn't, you know, exceed expectations. Therefore, you know, it's not worth doing. No, you set up one blog post. Your average traffic is under a thousand people per month. What did you think was going to (laughs) happen? Like, that's not how this works. The second part is to understand the difference between qualitative and quantitative results. So qualitative are those stories that we're talking about. Those are worth a different weight because they're just apples and oranges to quantitative. And and just trying to wrap your head around how you measure things and should it be measured and how do you really measure that? Is it measurable when it comes to things like that? Mm -hmm. You can't measure how big someone laughed or smirked at your post. You can't like it's just you can't there's no funny like I mean there are there's there's awards but like it's it's not from a social media standpoint it's not able to be done so don't go in thinking that that's you know well it wasn't funny because we got you know this many smiley faces with us laughing on it no so not everybody's gonna like think it's funny like that they're just gonna see it and move on which is still a positive interaction with your brand and then so to piggyback on understanding the difference between like quantitative, which would be like the number of impressions, the, you know, engagement percent, stuff like that, and qualitative. But how to get quality qualitative ones is where you really hit the home run back with another analogy, back to a previous analogy. You're going to hit a home run <laughs> if you get quality qualitative feedback from your customers because you have built a relationship with them. The very foundation of customer-centric is relationship building. Mm -hmm. Whether it's parasocial, one-to-one, one-to-many, whatever it is, it's a relationship. And relationships are what are going to then turn into a mutually beneficial conversion where it fits both of you. And it's ethical and transparent and is a win, not a taking advantage. It's not a scam. It's a we give you value because you have this actual need. Mm-hmm. We give you that need. That's what we do. We're really good at it. That's how you hit that home run is is making sure that you understand what those needs are, 
why they have them, what the emotional point to those needs exists, because you talked to enough people that said, this is what it is. That's great. Yeah, those are so good. Well, that's awesome. And this has just been such a great conversation. Where can people find you and find out more about your, do you, you have a company or you're a freelance? Like, So right now, we're recording this in December of 2023. So right now today, I do some consulting on the side, okay. but for the most part, I am a podcaster. And I have a full-time job during the day. So um, I do stuff to keep my hands dirty and provide value to as many people as I can. I can be found on LinkedIn. If you ever have a question where you're just like, hey, you said this and I thought this, or who would be a good resource, um, that, that I love to do. Um, I'm here to make friends. And so I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I would love it and super appreciate it if more people watched my YouTube channel okay. at Markigy, M-A-R-K-I-G-Y is the is my podcasting handle. It's my fun made up word. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. Well, I'm going <laughs> to put all these links in the show notes so people can definitely um, reach out to you. And I think, yeah, that's great. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for taking the time. This has been really fun. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I'm so excited to be um, on your podcast, which I think everyone should listen to every single episode ever made. <laughs> Thanks. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And that is a wrap of today's episode. I hope you found some actionable advice that you can use to help you improve your copy conversions. And for even more copywriting exclusive tips, be sure to click the link in the show notes to sign up for my weekly newsletter so you don't miss a beat. And as always, if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review. It really helps me out. Talk again soon.